Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Other Side NDE, where we talk about the fascinating phenomena of near-death experiences. These are more than just close calls. These are first-hand accounts of what people experienced dying, leaving the body, exploring another realm, and then returning to their body in order to share that experience with you. Every person that we interview, and many of us listeners, believe these accounts to be undeniably true experiences people had on the other side. If you enjoy listening to stories like these, make sure to check out our YouTube channel, The Other Side NDE, where we post two to three videos every week of people sharing their NDE stories. In 1982, I was a physical therapist working at Alaska Hospital and Medical Center in Anchorage, Alaska. I had two small children. I was 32. My children were nine and six. And my husband was working on Prudhoe Bay oil field repair work. So that was why we were living there. I injured my back at work and it wasn't responding to conservative treatment. And so surgery was needed for it. Since I'd had a previous back surgery, they weren't certain whether they'd be able to just do a laminectomy or whether I might have to have a spinal fusion. So I was really concerned that the spinal fusion could lead to my loss of my career as a physical therapist. So I contacted people back in New York State where I had come from and at a church that I was attending there in Anchorage and let people know the date of my surgery, ask people if they would pray for me, that this would just be a laminectomy and I'd be able to continue my career. So that's kind of a little bit of backstory to what happened. On the day of surgery, my husband and my children came to the hospital with me and I was one of the early morning surgeries. And so they were able to walk by my stretcher as I was taken down to the OR and then they were sent off to a waiting room and I was taken into surgery and you know I was on my stomach on the operating room table because they were going to be reopening my back where the previous surgery had taken place. And so I was put under anesthesia and that was the last thing that I was aware of until suddenly I was not under anesthesia and out cold. I was in fact very conscious. 
I was actually up near the corner of the operating room ceiling, real close to ceiling tiles. And there was a lot going on in the operating room in terms of the surgeons swearing at nurses, sending them out to get blood. And it was urgent, there was a lot of chaos, and my attention was drawn back toward the actual operating room table from the corner of the ceiling where I found myself. And as I looked back or my consciousness turned back that way, it was just as they were flipping my body from face down to face up on the operating room table and a nurse was hustling out the door. And so I got to actually see myself from a perspective that we never do in normal life because when we see ourselves, we see ourselves two-dimensional in pictures or even in a mirror. We never really see ourselves in three dimensions like we do other people. And first of all, I saw myself and I realized it was myself, had to be, was very, very white in the face. And I had big hair at that time. It was the early 1980s and this curly hair and just, I couldn't get over it. I looked terrible and I didn't really feel any connection to my body, but I thought, oh, that's what I look like. Ooh, that's terrible. And then I realized if I'm seeing myself from outside myself, I must be dead. That was my immediate thought. And I thought, but I'm alive. I'm okay. What about my husband and my kids in the waiting room? Oh no, I've somehow I've got to let them know that the real me is still okay. I'm alive. So as soon as I thought that, I began like floating and actually went through the wall of the operating room and back out into the hallway that they had brought my stretcher down to bring me to the OR. And then I was trying to retrace how we had come down to the operating room. And so I continued down this long hallway past other operating rooms that were being used. And then there was a double door entry that came into the operating room suite, went right through that doorway just as I had gone through the wall. And then as I got through that double doorway, I was drifting in the direction that I thought maybe the, the waiting room was and was going along when all of a sudden I had this telepathic voice that spoke and said, pay attention to this man. And so it drew my attention to the side and there was in fact a man who was rushing back in the opposite way toward the way I had just come from. And he was wearing like a jacket and pants, dress pants and as soon as the voice said to pay attention, nearsighted me, who always wears glasses, was clearly seeing, and not only clearly seeing everything about his facial features and his clothing, but was actually able to kind of zoom in and see his eye color and see real definition to what exactly what this person looked like. And then as he rushed past, and was going back toward those double doors to the operating room suite, I could hear his own thoughts. 
I realized I was hearing his thoughts. He was saying, I need to get in there. I have to get in there fast, was running through his mind. Then I heard the thoughts of another man who was closer to those double doors. And that other man was saying, what does this guy think he's doing? He can't go in there. You know, that's where surgeries are going on. And so both of these men's thoughts I was hearing. And when the man I was supposed to pay attention to got up close to the double doors, he paused for a bit. And then it was like electronic doors that opened up before him and he rushed on through. And once he was through and those doors closed, my first thought was back to the waiting room, my husband and my and the kids. But suddenly I wasn't able to keep going in the direction that I was thinking I wanted to get to. And instead, it was as though I were being drawn by a force that was lifting me up toward the ceiling and then literally through the ceiling and then to the following floor and continuing upward and through the ceiling, up through the floor of the next floor until I actually literally came out the roof of the hospital. And Alaska, where this hospital is located, there is a mountain range behind it, Chugiak Mountains. And I kept going up and up until I was literally about the height of about what a small plane might be flying at. And then the direction I was being pulled changed from upward to lateral. And I was moving really quite fast. And I began to think, I don't feel any temperature change out here. I don't feel wind going by me. I didn't feel the sensation of speed, but I was moving. My consciousness was moving right in the direction and out over the city of Anchorage. And it sits on water, Anchorage does. And as I reached the edge of where the water should be, an opening opened up that looked very dark and kind of like a cave or a tunnel. And I was like sucked into this dark cave. And once I was in there, it seemed as though I went into much, much faster speed than I had already been moving. And in the very far distance, I could see just a pinprick of light. And as I kept moving really, really fast, the pinprick of light kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger as I was approaching it until I literally burst through the light itself and out into an entirely different environment. And it was an environment that was very bright and yet very arid, very different than Anchorage. It was like dry, rocky ground, brown ground. Being a Christian, I thought, well, if I'm dead, I'm going to be going into heaven and Jesus will be there. And that wasn't what I saw at all. And so I thought, well, I looked down, you know, to see, am I standing on ground? What's happening? And I saw that I did not see any feet, any legs. And so I felt as though my body was still my body, the body I had had, but it wasn't, obviously, it didn't look like that because I could not see any feet or legs. And then again, a different telepathic voice I heard. And it said, 
follow me. Um, and it, it came from my left side. And as I looked over toward my left, there was a man who was climbing up a slope out of this kind of down valley-like area that this must have been. And he was climbing up the slope out of it. And when he said, follow me, I was immediately behind him, about three or four feet behind him. And so I was looking at him closely from what did he look like? Who was this? Um, and I saw that he had very almost black hair that had been pulled back and tied with a leather tie. And then as far as clothing, he just had a, a very simple off-white sort of a toga type of a clothing with again a tie simple tie around the waist and it came down to about just past mid thigh was where the toga left off and then below his knees he had crisscrosses of leather across down his calves to leather sandals and as I took all of this in I'm thinking well that's not how I picture Jesus. And I know this isn't Jesus. I don't know who it is, but that much I know. And I don't know why I'm supposed to follow him, but I did. And as he came up over the edge of where he had climbed up and I had been behind him, then the scenery changed totally. And what I saw then was a green, lush, meadow-type field filled with beautiful flowers, trees with lush leaves it, off in the distance and just absolutely gorgeous. And what I realized then was that everything I was looking at from the grass to the flowers, to the trees, to the leaves, everything was lit from within and was giving off this light that was within it. And the colors were indescribable, brilliant, brilliant, iridescent, you know, fluorescent. Words just don't describe these colors, many of which I, I had never seen before. And so I was really fascinated with this. And my guide, I started to call him, had gone on ahead and again said to me, follow me. And when he did, then again, I was right up behind him. And at this point, he was on the edge of a river. And the river was glistening, giving off light like everything else was. Everything just seemed to be so alive. And on the far bank of this river, which was not all that wide, but on the far bank were my father, who had died when I was seven, and my brother who had been killed in a car accident, and aunts and uncles that I knew had passed away. And then there were four other people that were there, beings that were there who I just knew, I had never seen pictures of my grandparents because they had died long before I was born. But yet I knew that that's who they were. And it was like a huge family reunion and they were just so, thrilled that I was there and I wanted to go to them so badly I wanted to be with them they said oh she's here isn't it wonderful and 
I just was so wanting to go there to them. And my guide said, no, we have to go somewhere else first. And all of this movement that I was going through at this time, I was being drawn. It wasn't like I was saying, I'm going to go right. And so then I was able to go right. I was drawn where I had to go. And so I had to follow my guide. And he went further down along the bank of the river and around a curve in the river and into a huge opening. And in the center of this opening was an enormous building that was like an alabaster white. It was glowing like everything else and just glistening white and looked Roman or Greek or something because of columns and, and long stairs that went up to like a big entryway door. And I also saw other beings who were there, who some at the foot of the stairs and some coming down and, and just many more people around, beings around. And again, my guide went directly up to the doors, said, follow me. And so I was up and behind him as the doors opened and we went in to this huge room that was long with all sorts of tables down the center of it. And along the sides were shelves upon shelves for stories upon stories that were filled with books and scrolls. And the tables in the center, there were people that were beings that were at the tables and were looking at, at things and other people were, others were standing at the end and all my guide said at this point is, this is where the book of life is stored. And, but we're not staying here, follow me. And so we went the full length of this whole area and into a small area in the back, a hallway like, and then into a doorway that was into a much smaller room. And this much smaller room had like an oval shaped, almost like if you think of a conference table, and there were lots of other beings who were sitting around this as though they were waiting for us to arrive. And when we came in, I felt as though all of these, these people, these beings knew who I was, were happy to see me, I sh that I should know them. Um, don't know why I felt that way, but they, they just felt so familiar. And that's when my guide said, we're going to review your life. And as that was said, the middle of this conference table type area was clear, almost like a glass bottom boat, until that was said, at which point it became like a hologram. And up from the center of this, I was able to see all of my life from when I was born through that time when I was 32, and not just see it, but re-experience all these different encounters and things that took place during my life, and also feel what the other people that I was interacting or talking with were feeling at the same time that as feeling what I was feeling, I was able to feel both at the same time. And it was really amazing to see how wonderful some things were in terms of maybe a small kindness that I thought I had done. And it was 
so positive for the other individual that they went on and did more positive things. And I saw this huge ripple effect of how much impact your behavior and your thoughts and actions literally have on other people. And of course, I felt bad for ones where I wasn't acting very well to somebody else and they were hurt and then they felt badly and did something badly to someone else or just felt terrible. So I felt bad about those things, but I didn't feel any sort of judgment or you shouldn't have done that or any, any of that sort of feeling coming from all of those who were there watching with me. In fact, it was exactly the opposite. It was, oh, this was good. This was great. And then it was, oh, look what you learned here. Look, look what happened and you changed and you did this better next time. You know, so it was all a learning and a positive and uplifting sort of experience. And then I was told that I could stay if I wanted, or I could choose to go back to my life. But if I was going to go back to my life, there were things that they wanted me to see. And they said, not everything we're going to show you is absolutely for sure going to happen because other people who are involved here have free will and they can choose not to interact the way currently it looks as though would happen. But some of these things are very certain they will take place if you decide you're gonna go back to your life. So I was shown all of this and then something else happened at this point that I don't know what it was because there's a gap, there's a jump from being in this room, this group of people, to being in a much smaller room with only my guide. And I pick up at that point and he's saying, I wanna show you what's going on in the hospital waiting room. And it was as though at that point, I was able to see from the ceiling down into the waiting room where my husband and my daughter and son were and the doctor who had operated on me was in the doorway and was in his surgical garb and talking to my husband and the kids were behind him toward this small couch that was in the room and then my guide said I also want you to see the prayers of the people that you asked to pray for you over here and so it was like off to the right I was shown um, prayers represented as though each one was a musical note, like a, you would see on a score of music. Only instead of going laterally across the score, each note was going vertically and attaching to another note and another note and coming up higher and higher, closer and closer to where we were. And at that point, he showed me that my daughter was praying that she thought I was died and that that's why the doctor was there after such a long, long time past when they thought he would be coming. And she was praying that she wanted me to live. She didn't want me to be dead. And her prayer, when it was attached to all the other prayers, as the last musical note, suddenly 
I was feeling all of my emotions of being Karen again. And I was feeling, oh my gosh, I can't let my daughter and son grow up without a mother like I grew up without a father. I can't stay here much as I, it's so filled with love and peace and beauty. I still, I can't stay here. I have to go back. I must go back to my life. And so I told the guy that I was going to go. I wanted to go back. And he said, okay, you will be given a proof that this actually, you'll know that this was, was something that truly took place. Um, but you won't be able to remember the things that we showed you about your future. Uh, you won't be able to remember everything that took place, but enough so that you know without any doubts at all that this is real. And as soon as he said that, don't remember any return trip of any kind. I, I only remember waking up at that point in a recovery room. And in the recovery room, my kids were on one side of the bed, and my husband was on the other stretcher, I guess it was. And immediately, I was still filled with this peace and this love that had permeated everything. And I had never felt anything like that before. And that was the first thing that said to me, this truly, all these things that I remembered immediately of my near-death experience were so real. And yet, I was coming out of anesthesia in a recovery room, and when it came to the surgery, I was couldn't even remember clearly what they had operated on or what for, and, and I was so befuddled that I had a big swollen stomach, and I thought, did I just have a baby? I mean, I, that part of my mental capacity was completely still befuddled and under anesthesia. But the consciousness that I had had as I experienced my near-death experience was crystal clear and remembering all of what I just said here. So I was in the hospital for 12 days and over the course of those 12 days, I was first in ICU and then I was out on the floor. And of course, doctors were checking and coming in daily. And one of the very first few days, this man came in to check on me and said that he had, had operated on me after the first operation went south. And as he said that, I realized this was the same man that I had seen and was told at first to pay close attention to. And because I recognized his eyes, his eye color and my hair color, and even though he was dressed in hospital clothes as he was checking on me and stuff. So after I was home and recovering, I made up my mind that I wanted to speak to this the second doctor who had been really kind to me all through the 12 days I was in the hospital. And I had to go back to see him in order to have metal staples that went from my breastbone to my pubic bone, had to have them removed. And I wanted my husband to come with me and I wanted to ask him about what I had seen taking place in the hospital 
that day uh, in terms of seeing him coming. And so I did. And uh, the reason I wanted my husband also, because you know, I had told him a little bit about I had this near-death experience. And he was kind of like, okay. Um, <laughs> but I knew he just wasn't believing it. And so I thought maybe if I ask this doctor and if he confirms what I saw, then that certainly is proof to me, but it'll be proof to my husband too. So I did ask him and his response was, how could you know that? And then he went on to say that he had been in his office seeing patients and had been called STAT um, to try to save a woman whose artery was cut and was bleeding out on the operating room table. And so he had rushed from his office into the hospital. And that was why I saw him in just kind of a regular jacket and clothes and things and not in any sort of hospital garb like you would normally expect from somebody who was a surgeon. And so that was real proof to me and confirmation. And uh, so that was my story. <laughs>